Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And this week, I get to flip the mic a little bit because I was out of the pulpit on vacation. And Pastor Dina, you got to, to take the passage this week. I did. And it was, it was a doozy. Um, we, ended up, we ended up focusing on the whole of chapter 10. Um, the narrative lectionary called for verses at the beginning and verses at the end and kind of cut out some of the traveling stuff in the middle. But the more I reckoned with it, the more I realized that that was also a, that was a part in the story. It was a step in the story. And so it needed to be in there. It needed to be unpacked to make the whole story flow. Um, this, the chapter was 48 verses, so it was pretty long. Um, and normally when we see this passage addressed, we break it up into two different passages. It's the, um, the first part is Cornelius's vision or well, Cornelius sends for Peter, but we have, then we have Peter's vision and then Peter going to Cornelius and his conversion taking place. So we often separate the two Peter on one side and Cornelius a different time. And, um, but you got to deal with, I got to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. And it is important to see the way the whole story fits together and what that, what that means and how, what impact it has looking at the whole story versus just taking it in parts, much like, you know, many other places in scripture where our, our verse numbers and, and section titles maybe focus us on important details, but, but maybe help or kind of lead us to miss some of the broader strokes that are happening. Yeah. Certainly some of those, um, uh, chapter title or chapter numbers and and section titles are are later editions and can kind of break up the flow of things Mm -hmm. and and it's so funny because uh there i know so many people who will read you know for uh, you know they'll read an entire harry potter book Mm -hmm. but you try to cross a chapter line in a bible story and it's like ah no no can't do that yeah and so it's like our brains start segmenting those things so what was it like then reading chapter 10 in its entirety and then thinking about how to preach chapter 10 in its entirety when knowing you didn't have five hours uh this this was a hard passage to um to reckon with it was a hard sermon to Right, I found myself trying to be really careful with my words, so I wasn't saying more than I intended to say. If that makes sense. Um, what what kind of dangers were you were you I seeing think, in the text? You know, anytime we talk about the way the gospel goes out and includes people, then I think it raises people's hackles because we have all sorts of lists in the church about who should be included or who shouldn't and what types of practices should be included and what types of practices should are just too far. You know, we can't, we can't include that. Um, and so there, to me in this passage, there's still a constant tension between, um, between faithfulness to the gospel and inclusivity, um, how to how to bring the gospel to people who are different than you and um and can you be in relationship with someone who is vastly different from you without you trying to win them 
over to your side or them trying to win you over to their side. Um, so I felt like there were lots of kind of tricky landmines too that I only had, you know, 20 to 23 minutes of one-sided conversation in which to address. <laughs> so it's much different in a, in a back and forth conversation where you can ask questions, where you can, um, unpack things together. So there, there really, there really is a limit to the, the format of a sermon. Yeah. And even hearing you talk, I mean, uh, right now, uh, and we can, we've discussed this, the fact that even certain words are so laden with meaning in our culture. Yeah. Um, inclusivity um, doesn't mean what it meant 20 years ago. Yeah. It doesn't mean what it meant, you know, 40 years ago. And so those can automatically bring up, bring up um, dividing lines amongst people. And, and so even to, to say those words might not get you a fair hearing. Yeah. And we, I think in a soundbite culture, in a culture where we're used to reading headlines and already forming opinions, that is always, I mean, that's something I keep in mind every time I preach, you know, what am I saying? And then what are people hearing? And then how are they interpreting it? Um, and oftentimes for better, you know, at, at the door, people say, I love how you said this. It was so encouraging. And I think, huh. I didn't think I said that, but okay, I see how it fits. Um, but then you run the risk on the other side too. You said this. Wait, no, I didn't. I didn't mean to say that. That's not, those weren't the words I used, but that's what you heard. So Right. And, and in preparation, I know from, from my standpoint in, in preparing for sermons, sometimes I can find myself being so careful that I feel like I'm not saying anything at all then. Yeah. Which, which is probably the, the biggest danger in my estimation is becoming so neutral that you yeah. become worthless in, in your effect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a hard balance to find, to, to stand in a place, to be okay if others aren't in that place, but to also know where to say, I cannot go to this other place and I, you know, to try and figure out where our standard isn't even, even the right word, but you know, where for us, our lines are that, that I can't operate outside of them. Right. Um, and the, to me, the question always keeps coming back to who can I be in relationship with faithfully? Like who can I, say, hey, we're in different places on whether infants should be baptized or whether this or that, but we can still do ministry together. We can still um, do great things for the kingdom of God. And where do I have to say, I just think we're so far apart. I'm not sure we can be in relationship with one another. Um, And then that leads to all kinds of other questions is, does that mean we can't associate at all? Does that mean we just, we don't share the same faith. And then how do I relate to you then? You know, it's, it's a messy relational kind of nightmare. <laughs> it, it, okay. So we're opening this door, uh, on this scripture. Uh, I mean, there is so much going on. If you haven't listened to the sermon or if you haven't read Acts 10, please do so. Um, it was, uh, I've listened to the sermon and so I've, I, you know, we're kind of launching right into the discussion, but, um, let me ask you this 
right out from the outset because um, Peter is going to go to someone who would not have been acceptable in Jewish eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the gospel moves forward. But I think a question that's burning for us today that relates to this, and we might as well address it right up front, is does um, to be in relationship with someone, does that also mean full acceptance and endorsement of that person? That's, that is the question. Um, and I think, I think it depends on the, the person, but for some, I, I think yes. And the way we've organized our social media, the way we've ordered, organized our, our mass media, the way we organize our lives. We had a, a discussion about the echo chambers that we can often find ourselves in. It almost seems like the world is saying, yes, if we don't agree on these things, then, then we can't, we can't associate it all. And I can't, you know, I, it kind of often comes out. I can't believe you don't think the, the same as I do about this. How dare you? You're clearly a garbage human being. Goodbye. And is is that a biblical like as we as Christians try to navigate their world? Is that a, is that a biblical stance? I don't think so because I see the way that Jesus approached people who were in a different place than him, people who weren't acting the way that that they may have been called to be, um, and the grace that he showed them, the grace that that said, I know who you are and I care for you, but also go and sin no more. I'll also go and, and, um, and change and, and do things differently. Um, I don't know that we have that same, I know for sure we don't have that same authority to Jesus to, as Jesus (laughs) to say, go and and change because you know maybe maybe it's us that needs to change a little bit too in the midst of that and that that is the tension one of the tensions of this passage is how do the jews hold on to their their tradition their exclusivity what they had learned and and ingrained in every part of their their lives and also be willing to change and move and grow and um and how do you distinguish between the way what comes from god and the way god is calling us to grow and change and what ways the world is calling us to just look more like the world and that's to me i mean that's the tension of of the church throughout the ages is trying to figure out if i think god is leading us this way and saying this and you think god is leading us this way and saying this at some point we're going to be at an impasse that we can't, we can't overcome. And we, and we don't know for sure. I mean, I think I know for sure. And you think, you know, for sure. But the bottom line is from our human perspective, we just don't know. Um, and that's with all kinds of issues dating back thousands of years. You know, the church, <laughs> the church has never been of one mind. Um, apparently back to this, yes. this incident with, with, uh, Peter and Cornelius. Here. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've kind of addressed some some introductory issues, um, and we'll circle back to some of that because you you bring up uh, some more good <laughs> points about what does this mean in terms of 
being in relationship um, and uh, what that means for ministry and life. Um, so many things here to unpack. But, um, you know, as I was listening to you, uh, some of the ideas that, that stuck out to me was the fact that, you know, the gospel has gone out to all people regardless of their ethnic or national origin. Mm-hmm. Um, you point out the fact that um, this is a, a major jump in the gospel. It has been up to this point in Acts very much an internal Jewish movement. We forget that Pentecost, even though they're speaking different languages, mm-hmm. it's an entirely Jewish context. So it's different languages within Judaism. Um, and so, you know, even though it seems obvious that like, hey, you're speaking all these languages and the Spirit's enabling you to communicate with them, they're still thinking of it within a Jewish context. This is moving to an area that is not just not Jewish, but is is actively anti-Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, I know in my research, it was pointed out that, you know, obviously, as James just said, Pentecost was a was a Jewish based event experience. And then when the Samaritan and the Ethiopian eunuch converted, um, they were, they were close enough to, to not be considered complete foreigners. I mean, they didn't love this. They didn't love Samaria by any means. So they, they (laughs) tolerated it, but this really was going in a complete other direction, but it wasn't, it wasn't a change of mind. It was, it, this was always the plan and we see it echoed in Luke's version of the great commission when he said the good news would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. And we see it in the great commission where it said, make disciples of all nations. And we see it in the birth narratives when Jesus has talked about a light to the nations. So this was always the plan, but for those of us in the midst of, of God's plan and for Peter and, and his friends in the midst of God's plan, sometimes it's hard to see, oh yeah, this was always the plan. Right now it just feels like a massive change of direction. Um, and so, so they had to reckon with that too. So Cornelius is this Gentile who has taken on Jewish. Yes. He was respectful of the Jewish culture. Um, one commentator even went to say so far as to say, he was Jewish in every respect other than he never got circumcised. So he never officially became a, a member of the Jewish tribe um, that, but he respected their, their customs that the time of prayer that he was praying was a traditional Jewish time of prayer. Like he clearly had adopted the Jewish faith at least in tradition um, and in intention too, in that it, it's lifted up that he was a faithful person. He gave money. He helped other people. He prayed. Um, he was a good, good person, um, someone highly respected. So in that respect, having him be the one to hear the gospel isn't shocking. It's not, uh, but you know, the, the, the chapter just previous to this is where we have Saul's conversion and he was a Jew, but he was doing all the wrong things and he was converted into Christianity. So, so we kind of have both examples here. Sure. And you know, 
the fact that he has kind of adopted Judaism as his as his faith, you would have expected that that his prayers would have led him into deeper conversation with um, a rabbi or the Sanhedrin, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily to Peter, who, yes, is Jewish, but is Jewish outcast yeah. um, by the standards of, of first century Judaism because of his association with Jesus then. Yeah. Yeah, Peter wasn't the one that you would ordinarily go to if you were looking to be a good and faithful Jew. And Peter and and the disciples were still trying to figure out what what it meant to be a Jew and believe that the tomb was empty that morning and that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Like they were still very much trying to figure out what this meant and what to do with all these things. Stephen had uh, the story of Stephen was just a couple chapters prior to that and Stephen was the one that really introduced the idea that the temple was no longer necessary and so that was kind of mind-blowing and now here we have Peter saying hey not only is the temple something that we don't need anymore now these these cleanliness codes that we've kept for thousands of years maybe they're not as important either (laughs) so (laughs) so uh and and that's you know that was actually something else that i picked up from what you were saying is that the the ritual and ritual and purity markers which once identified israel as god's people are no longer the identity markers for God's people under the new covenant mm-hmm. and and the new covenant being the, the forgiveness of sins through, through Jesus's death and resurrection. Yeah. And that's a hard tension. It was a hard tension then it's a hard tension. Now that's one of the things I have as a, as a sticking point is how do we balance the traditions of the church with where God is calling us to go? How do we balance practice and, faithful belief and um i mean mean, and even jesus blew open the the laws when he said you've heard it said but i say and so how do we we find that same sort of balance well this is this is the way it was but maybe it doesn't have to be the way it always will be and and trying to discern then where where that's the spirit calling us to change, where that's continuing sanctification of the church or where that's where we're being deceived. Um, Cause those are hard, hard questions to, and, and Peter had to navigate them too. Yeah. Which makes it no easier. Yeah. <laughs> if we could pick Peter's brain on that. Um, maybe we should have him on as a guest. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's a fascinating question Especially as I think about the fact that um, I was reading an article uh, yesterday, the day before. Carrie Newhoff puts out his um, puts out things from time to time, and and uh, I read his articles. and He he wrote about the fact that Gen Z is entering the workforce as full time employees now. Yeah, and it's so funny because we think of the. I think a lot of us think of the the division in the church as between boomer and millennial with X kind of sitting on the sidelines yeah. eating popcorn as they've always been. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's, it's no longer that, I mean, millennials are now 
they're full-fledged adults and yeah, having children of their anymore. own. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, you know, millennials are saying, we're not that young anymore. And, and, J- and Z is saying, hello, we're yeah, here. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're grownups now. Yeah. And so, um, if we're not careful, the church is really good about being, about being slow about things and mm-hmm. hanging on to old arguments. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, uh, I think that brings up a question is what does the church look like as Gen Z comes up and, you know, where, where do we tell, you know, and what does this passage give us in terms of guidance, in terms of how do we tell what is outward form, like what's being, you know, for Peter, it was the, the dietary restrictions that, that God kind of used to, to help expand his understanding of where the gospel needed to go. And, and how does that help us then today with forms and what the core of the gospel is and what the church then ought to look like as we move forward and as we attempt to bring the gospel to a new, to a new generation? Um, because the danger, of course, is to bring a new generation to our preferences, even as, you know, both of us sit here as I believe if, if not exennials, millennials, you know, yeah. sitting on the cusp of, of things. Yeah. I'm right on the, the cusp of, of both generations. Right. Depending on who defines it, de- yeah. determines where I fall. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, how do we, because even as, as for lack of better term, uh, even as millennials, you know, the danger as is to bring Gen Z to us mm-hmm. and to adopt our understanding of church. So what's the baby and what's the bathwater? I think, I mean, that that is the question. And that that's the work that the church has to do as we, as we no longer enjoy the, the dominance that comes from being the, the main culture. And as we think through, I know at our church, we've been going through mission and purpose statement kind of stuff. And, you know, as we think, what is our mission? And then are these forms that we're doing, are they, are they serving what we say our mission is? Or are they distracting our energy and, and our time just to try and keep something going the way it's always been? And I know we've talked about institution and love of institution. And I, I do believe for most people, the, the wanting to preserve the institution of the church or the Christian camp or the conference or whatever, whatever the beloved thing is, comes from a good place. It's because it's because they've encountered God there and mm-hmm. they want other people to encounter God. And this is the way I know how to do it because this was life changing for me. And so I want that for you. And I can't, imagine it happening in any other way than what I've experienced. And so I think the work of the church now is a little bit to say, you know, this was meaningful for me. Is it, is it meaning, is this what people current, that the current people were trying to reach, is this what they're finding meaning in? Or is this us just saying, come, I found meaning this way maybe you can too. Or are we listening to what the actual needs of a community 
are of the people that we want to reach and trying to provide ways to encounter the gospel through those. We've been we've been talking about the the life of parents of of young children and how hard that is and how different it was than than even just 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, the world has changed. COVID, of course, changed our world. I know in my family, it dramatically accelerated our exposure to technology on a one-to-one (laughs) level um, because all of a sudden something that was just maybe a pastime from time to time became the primary mode of learning and engaging and, and doing everything. So how do we... And so that's totally different than an age growing up where going to church on Sunday night was the only time you got to see your friends that went to a different school. Right. You know, when you went to youth group is the only exposure you had to them during the week. Now we don't have those limitations and it just means a new way of trying to, to do things, realizing that, you know, maybe sharing physical space together is not what teens need as much of right now, but, but they need something else. And, and we're, we're working hard to try and figure it out, trying not to be so slow that by the time we get there, they've moved, you know, that the need has moved on to something else. And and I mentioned teens, I mentioned parents of young children, but it's really true of, of everyone as, as every population ages and changes and faces different struggles than their parents did. I know there's lots of talk about the sandwich generation of people who are both caring for aging parents and maybe even aging grandparents and also young children that's different than it's ever been before. And, and people who are retiring and living longer have a much longer span of life in that retirement zone that we, than we've ever had before, which are all, you know, that's a good thing, but it changes the way we, we live and it changes the way we relate to the church as well. So do you have a rubric that in your own mind that you use to say, okay, what is form and what is gospel? I guess that, I mean, the short answer is no, because I definitely default to the things that I have found meaning in, but I think I think within that I have a pretty wide picture because I've been fortunate enough to be involved in different churches throughout my life and different organizations throughout my life. I can envision things wider than than maybe other people can. Like for me, worship doesn't always have to look like like 100 people filing into the sanctuary, sitting down, facing the same direction, <laughs> listening for an hour, maybe standing up and singing every once in a while, and then going out that like it can take some different forms musically or with posture or whatever but no I don't have a really clear rubric I think I think a big part is the the sense of the spirit leading and also then the affirmation of people around that say yes I did I I did feel the spirit in this way that I didn't expect but but that that sense that God still calls us in community, and that's an important part of 
of chapter 11, which I did not read because I didn't want people to walk out halfway through the, <laughs> the scripture reading, which was already 48 verses long. But after Peter's vision, after he reckons with what that meant, and after then he he dealt with Cornelius and, and the people gathered in Cornelius's house accordingly, he then had to give an answer to the church and and ultimately they they came along with him too but i think that's an important step that i don't want to overlook um the hard part is when the church doesn't agree and then what do you do with that but i do think being creatures of community that that seeing the way the spirit is working in tandem and even even in peter and cornelius like the spe- the spirit had to work in both of their lives at the same time in vastly different ways for them to get to this place. Like if Peter had had this vision to send for Peter or if Cornelius had the vision to send for Peter and they got there before the animals had come down before Peter experienced God in that way, chances are Peter wouldn't have even let the, the Cornelius's men pass the front gate. He would have hmm. said, okay, thanks. I'll, you know, I'll get back to you or I'll come along, but I'm not going to enter into a relationship into a meaning relation, meaningful relationship with you. Sure. So there's, there's a community aspect to, to discernment and it. And it really, unlike um, echo chambers of right now, it, there was a unity of spirit that pervaded this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's important to realize Cornelius had no idea why he was even summoning Peter like he was just told in a vision to go get Peter (laughs) all right I'll do it and you know we we know that Peter has just had this vision but we don't get the immediate sense that he connected them right away either Um, he had the vision of the angels or the of the um, the animals coming down and then messengers appeared and said go with the the men who are looking for you but but we don't know right away how he connected those things because the words luke uses really indicate that there was a a wrestling a struggle like he was really he didn't see the the sheet of animals and immediately know oh this is what's got what god is doing (laughs) it kind of revealed itself in steps as he encountered cornelius and his men okay so so there's uh you know a movement of the spirit. There's coordination by the spirit that couldn't have happened, mm-hmm. you know, any other way. Um, there is uh, affirmation by the spirit afterwards, not just with Cornelius's people in the in the outpouring of the spirit that looks like the, the Pentecost mm-hmm. 2.0, yeah, but also with the church leaders. Then, um, I noticed it was very interesting in the middle of this. Christ is proclaimed. Yes. And very clearly who Christ is and what he has done. Yeah. And that's the basis for everything. The, the, that Christ's life is, is the good news that's going out. That's, you know, Peter isn't just saying, oh, hey, God's gonna bring, bring this new group of people into, to faith. It was only because of Christ that, that, that could happen um yeah that's an that's a really important thing to bring about and to you know it was interesting some commentators said 
hey, you know, Peter just gives the really abridged version of what Jesus did. So maybe that's all we're, not all we're called to do, but maybe that's all we need to do, that we don't have to worry as much about whether or not we have every answer right before we share our faith. Because mm. we've talked before, that's the number one thing. Well, why don't you share your faith, faith more? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to get something wrong. So one commentator kind of pointed out that that maybe the the high points are all we need. Like that's a first step. Yeah. Um, someone else pointed out that maybe this was just Luke's way of recording it uh, because may, likely the sermon Peter's speech was was much longer, but that isn't what they wanted to focus on. And so obviously that's how it was if recording. If he stayed there a few days, this, there's more yeah. that, that was talked about. Yeah, that in that section, the remarkable thing was while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came. So Peter didn't even get the whole the whole story out before they were anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that was really backwards from what they expected. Normally, people would express a desire to be baptized, the disciples would baptize them, and then the Holy Spirit would come. Yeah. And so in this case, the Spirit came, and then the church kind of had to get on board um, and figure out, oh, yeah, this is what the Spirit is doing, which they recognized because the Spirit came in the same way that they had experienced at Pentecost. But again, that, that doesn't give much clarity for those of us who are process people, you know, it's really nice to say like, okay, if this, then this, then this, but when it's reversed and the the message is kind of like, okay, church, get on board with what the spirit's doing. Then again, we enter into that discernment of, is this our desire? Is this the world telling us to do this? Or is this really the work of the spirit? Which again, I think can only be done in, in community and in prayer. Um, one of the things that hit the cutting room floor. I was about to ask yeah. you, what, what, what got cut? <laughs> um, other than in just a, a quick mention was that this idea that, that God speaks when we're in prayer, that both Cornelius and Peter had to put themselves into a posture of prayer before they could really hear from the spirit in this two-way communication kind of thing. And, and I think that's still really hard for us today. I know it, it's constantly a struggle for me to not just treat God like a genie in the sky. And here's my list of, of requests. And, you know, by the way, can you make it sunny on Thursday? Cause I have <laughs> something to do, you know, here, here's all the people that need healing. Here's all the things that break my heart for the world. Here's all this. Okay. Thanks. Do what you need to with it. Jesus talk to you later. Um, but to really put ourselves in that posture where we're open to, God communicating with us and guiding us. and Because, and, correct me if I'm wrong, but neither Cornelius nor Peter were looking for this. No, no. We get the sense Peter was, Peter was definitely hungry. That's told to us right in the text. <laughs> but he, we, I got the sense, too, that he was probably tired and worn out. He had just raised someone from the dead. They were... Well, that'll take it out of you. Yeah, they were just trying to figure out what in the world to do with Saul, who eventually became Paul, because he had been killing the Jews and now he had had a conversion experience and was teaching people about Jesus. And they're like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> how do we how do we make sense of this? And 
So I just imagine, I imagine just a worn out Peter who's super hungry, who just goes up on the roof to get a minute of peace and fellowship with God while his lunch is being made. And even that. Which is remarkable because I, you know, when I get tired, you know, that's, that's a discipline. He has been with Jesus because Jesus does this throughout the gospels. It's not natural to say, I'm tired, therefore I must pray. Yeah. It, it For me, I mean, it more looks like I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap and then I'll address you, God, you know. Um, right. I, don't ask me to formulate any thought or be vulnerable or think deeply about things because I'm worn out. So this, this is coming in the midst of this practice of prayer mm-hmm. rather than in a specific request, a specific prayer, you know, Lord, what am I supposed to do next? But in this, what's supposed to be rejuvenating yeah, kind of fellowship with, with God and, and Cornelius is just, this is when I pray. Yeah. And this is when, and this is when the culture around me prays. And so this is what, this is what I do now. This is the time I do this. The, the way we may say noon is the time we eat it's lunchtime it's just what we do don't know why that's just what we all do we all go you know not so much anymore but when the the work day was from nine to five we start at nine we end at five that's just what everyone and everything is closed from 12 to one yeah yeah so it was just such an ingrained part of the culture that my guess is Cornelius didn't even really think about what he was doing and what kind of posture he was putting himself in until he saw an angel of God, and then he's like, "What is it?" Ah. <laughs> then his, then he was paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so prayer. The importance of prayer is is one of the things that really kind of hit the the floor for you. What else in this? Um, the idea of hospitality, and I did again. It was kind of just a a quick mention, but that in order for Peter to really understand what God was doing in his life, he had to extend hospitality to Cornelius's men. And then he had to accept that hospitality from Cornelius, even though even you get the sense, even as he was walking in the front door saying, I'm not supposed to do this, but here I am. Like, this isn't the way I always thought it was going to be. And yet I'm taking this step of faith and that that can be a tricky, complicated thing, this idea of, of hospitality and welcome and and it is bound up in intolerance and relationship and all those words that have so much inclusivity, all those words that have so much weight to them. But I think it's an important it's important to note that if Peter hadn't been willing to accept hospitality and offer it that I don't think he would have ever gotten to the point where he understood the vision that he had had, that, that he had to take those steps in relationship and in conversation for them to start to come together. So what does that look like? Cause I think there's some, it sounds like there could be some very good applications of that for today. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, what does Peter's pattern here and kind of how the spirit led him lead us to to um new patterns 
new ways of being the church and engaging culture than now? I think, I think in all of that relationship is key. Two sides. One, because we said Peter's new visions, new interpretations had to be confirmed by the other faithful people that he was in in conversation with. And, and he had taken some people from Joppa to Caesarea with him. So, you know, he had started to build that group uh, that could witness things with him and witness two things together, that they could witness all those things together and those people could affirm what the spirit was doing. And then, so this that, wasn't a, a, I I'm having a private vision. I'm having a private experience and then a private interpretation. Right. It all okay. happened in community. And then, and then they took that, that small group took that experience to the wider church community. Um, I forget how chapter 11 starts. As that, I as I recall, it starts with the church basically saying, explain yourself. Yeah, pretty, yeah, that's it. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. What are you doing? And so Peter had to give an account also in community, in relationship with this wider body that was holding him accountable. So I think that's one thing. Also, Peter wasn't afraid to be in relationship with the Gentile, with someone who, when he stepped into that house, they were polar opposites. He had no idea the way that that the spirit would bring them together. Maybe he started. Maybe he had started. He clearly had started to to know something was up. But right. But um, on, on the on the outside, on the outside, he was willing to be in relationship with someone with whom he disagreed fundamentally, and that didn't stop him from from taking that step of relationship and then ultimately sharing Jesus with them. Cause it would have been really easy for Peter to say, wait, Caesarea mm-hmm. Roman centurion. I know who you are. Yeah. I know who you are. I know what you stand for. You're not where I am. No, thank you. Yeah. And so it would have been very easy for him to dismiss this aside from a working of the spirit saying, you know, yeah, go, go, go. And so I do think it's work for us to do. And I think the answer is different for different people and maybe even different at different times. But how do we engage in relationship with people who don't agree with us? And in no in no way did Cornelius was clearly seeking what Peter had to offer to Peter didn't walk in the house and say, here are 27 reasons why you're wrong do it my way. I mean, it was, it was a more, it was a conversation that Cornelius was seeking and Peter was offering. And so I think it's on us as Christians to discern where people are seeking and where maybe where they're not ready to hear good news yet. It's on us to be willing to share what Jesus is doing in our lives, our experience of what encountering the risen Christ looks like and feels like not in a way that can be picked apart for right and wrong answers but but hey this is what I've experienced and where I've ended you know where I've come in my faith and be willing to experience that push and pull even at at the end of the day if 
it looks like both people saying, I'm still not where you are. Mm. I think the question is, can we show that respect and I think love to people that we don't agree with? And that's, that's on every theological issue. That's on every political issue. That's on um, parenting issues and, and the way we choose to engage in all sorts of different things. Social issues. Yeah. Can we, can we have conversations and be in relationship with people that disagree with us and still hold on to our faith and and not compromise, but also not be so hard-nosed that we can't change. Because it would have been really easy for Peter to say, no, I'm holding fast to these traditions. I can't, like, I'm not departing from these. You can't make me. But he was willing to to entertain the idea that maybe the Spirit was doing something new. And And kind of like I started, these are hard things to reckon with and and no one has gotten them right and the church certainly has not gotten it right throughout their history all you have to do is look at the the map of the different branches of presbyterianism to know that (laughs) there's you know splits every time you turn around and so it's hard stuff that we've not gotten right and yet i still think that's our call to keep coming back to to that idea of relationship and and using those things to to share the gospel to open up doors to share the gospel and then and then let the spirit do with that what it will as as you talk about this one of the things that makes me think about is um you know a lot of times churches lament their church buildings being underused mm-hmm. but the way that this ministry with Peter and Cornelius has happened and kind of what we're talking about makes me think that the most underused asset that the church has is is the local home mm-hmm. um you know the the believer's home to welcome people to invite people in and to say come come have dinner with us you know peter at one point asked can i ask what it is that you want mm-hmm. like why you wanted me here um and so there's a curiosity that peter exhibits and a in a hospitality that they both both exhibit and uh so it makes me think that that a very tangible way of living out some of the lessons here and to carry the gospel is to say, um, you know, I I don't know as much about you. Why don't you come have dinner with me this week? I've mm-hmm. got these days for you, and I'd really love to know you more. Yeah, and that that's a, a really vulnerable place to put yourself in, but I do think that that, that is as powerful of a preaching tool as any sermon that, that I could ever write, um, that it's in relationship with one another that we, we grow and change and are rebuked and are corrected and, and are opened to new things that we would have never come to on our own. If, if, if we were just in our own private prayer life and our private vision and not in community with one another. And I think it it takes vulnerability then to say we don't agree on this and someday one of us is going to be right or one of us is going to be wrong or we'll both be wrong and there'll be a whole different way that we've not even thought of <laughs> yet um, and to be okay in that in that tension that that we don't as much as we try to have the mind of Christ, we don't have that 
that grand perspective, that divine understanding of what God is doing. So in inviting someone in, then it's not a game to be won, but it's a relationship to be had. Yeah. And to, to be cultivated. Yeah. Um, and I think people, cause people can see right through ulterior motives. I, I, I think of that, the bait and switch ministries of the nineties. I don't know if you experienced that too, but you know, come see this really cool BMX biker. Oh, also, but you have to sit through a half hour presentation of the gospel, which is, is important. I love the gospel. I wouldn't be a pastor if not, but, but you can see right through the gimmicks and, right. and things. But if people are willing to be in relationship with you and accept you where you are, and if you are willing to accept again, another loaded word, but, maybe honor is a better word honor where other people are. I think that can do a lot to, to communicate the grace of Christ and to, to honor that, that maybe, maybe I think you're perfectly wrong, but, but I also know that there's a whole list of things that I get wrong too. And so I think Paul uses a good phrase, a genuine interest yeah, in people, a genuine interest in their welfare. Yeah. I think is the way that Paul puts it to tip about, he was actually talking about Timothy, um, but to, to have a genuine interest in the welfare of people. Yeah. And that's how the early church grew. It was through relationship. It was through living life together. It wasn't come to this building for an hour a week and, and learn and then, then go out and there's value in in the models that we have. I, I mean, I'm not willing. We, you know, we talked about where the church is going to go. I certainly don't want to throw the whole church out. No, uh, no, that's. But but I think also we're also being called back to the relationship of the early church and the the care and and concern and accountability and and stumbles and successes and and all the things that the early church experienced and we still experience today. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis sounded uh, pretty correct then when he wrote screw tape letters and, and, and basically said, just make them busy. Yeah. 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 I mean, how many churches lament there's not going to be enough help or it takes all of our effort to do X, Y, Z. And so we can't do this other thing that maybe God is calling us to do too. Cause we have to keep this thing going. Um, I know I, I don't think it's true of our church, but that's often the 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 insult hurled at Vacation Bible School that it it is an event that takes so much effort to pull off. Our church still has a really vibrant Vacation Bible School, and I still get the sense that the spirit's involved in that. Maybe because I love it, but but no, I <laughs> I genuinely think God is still using that ministry in our church, but can recognize that it's that's not true of everything and whatever that the ministry is vacation Bible school or the, the annual strawberry festival or whatever, whatever the big thing that, that consumes all of the energy and all of the time, um, you know, maybe, maybe we've missed the the point a little bit on some of those things. Made us, uh, the, the devil has made us busy. Yeah. Instead of engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this has been a little bit longer of a conversation, but that was that was a Dickens of a package. It, it really was. I mean, forty eight verses. Even my husband, who does the slides, when he saw it, he he sent sent me a text from upstairs. Forty eight verses? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah. 
all of them, <laughs> every single one. But but I think, like I said, I think in this particular case, there there in in another time and another place, it will make sense to break it down. But for this time in the life of our church, I think it meant more to look at it as a whole, as it related to the Great Commission that we talked about last week, and as it's going to relate to where we're going as the church is sent out. Wow. A lot in there to unpack. Um, it's going to be messy. Yeah. It, it's not, I think that's one of the things that is a tangential takeaway from this is it's, there are no clear rules on mm-hmm. this. Um, other than a clarity of the gospel, the community of, of the faithful and the guidance of the spirit. Yeah. But man, is that going to be messy? Yeah. And I think it's going to take a lot for us to be willing to tolerate the mess and to tolerate each other in the mess. Again, tolerate be, being a loaded word, but like how do we live with one another in the mess and how do we keep a church going in the mess? Yeah. Wow. If, if you know, let us know. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously. And, and, uh, and, and really what we're inviting you into is, is doing that so that, the message of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. continues for the next generation. Um, wow. So uh, <laughs> on all of those thoughts, yeah. you know, uh, if you found this episode helpful, as, as um, difficult as the message may seem and as unsettling as that may be, uh, if you found it helpful, would you leave a rating and review and share it with others so that they can be invited into this and hear the message of, of, uh, God's grace through Jesus Christ and the hope that comes through the gospel. Uh, also click subscribe on whatever, uh, button your podcasting service gives to you because, uh, you may not know this, but the, the way that, uh, the, that podcasts get recommended is through those subscriptions and get, and is through those ratings and reviews. So they really do actually have a tangible effect on people being able to find, uh, find this good message. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Um, until next time, uh, though, we really hope this message has helped you connect Sunday to the weekday and helps you live uh, a life that is, is Christ centered and, and led by the spirit. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. We'll see you next time.